your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day for Nancy Pelosi. Why? Well, because she's running for re-election. A re-election to what, you may ask? You didn't even realize that Nancy Pelosi was still around? Yes, yeah, she's still a member of the House of Representatives of the United States. And uh, she's running to uh, go ahead and capture her seat, which is very likely that she will. It's in San Francisco and a little bit of Marin County. But uh, she uh, has comments about the significance of her race. She's 83 years old. It's unbelievable. She's three years older than President Biden. President Biden, meanwhile, uh, there is yet another survey that shows that two-thirds of Democrat voters want Biden to drop his re-election bid. Will he? Should he? Uh, meanwhile, President Trump seems to be moving on to try to find a suitable running mate. He's traveling for that purpose to South Dakota. Does that mean he's uh, going to be dealing with uh, Governor uh, Doug Bergram? No, that's North Dakota. Don't get confused. South Dakota's Christy Noam is the governor of that state, and she's been a supporter of President Trump for a long time. She apparently is going to uh, endorse him this evening at a rally. And uh, the speculation is intensifying that President Trump might pick Christy Noam as his running mate. Then what happens to all the other wannabes, the people like Carrie Lake, like uh, 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 Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, who clearly has delusions of the vice presidency, uh, and, um, and more uh, who uh, believe that they should be the Trump running mate. Uh, we will consider that as well on the Medved show. Uh, Anti-Semitism is in the news. A Nazi march over the weekend that is being described as a mass march. And I've been trying to find out exactly how many people they think participated. It was 40. And again, is that a bigger march than usual? Yes. Uh, were they openly displaying swastikas? Uh, yes. And uh, uh, they also had tattoos on their foreheads with swastikas and more Nazi symbolism and paraphernalia. Uh, that going on at a uh, in Florida at a time when California is devoting an entire month to uh, recognize Transgender History Month. Transgender history, where, where are we going back to? Uh, I mean, it was said that there were some Roman uh, emperors and members of uh, royal families who liked to dress as women, but what, what exactly is transgender history? We'll try to uh, focus on that as well. And uh, we have uh, movies today and much more, plus Paul Kangor of Grove City College uh, talking about the historical place of this campaign. Is it really worse than any other campaign ever? In some ways, yes. And uh, we'll be speaking with Jonathan, uh, Jonathan V. Last of the uh, Bulwark uh, on a conservative perspective on what is going on in this campaign. 
I I did want to speak a little bit about some of the uh, uh, the the developments here that are noteworthy in terms of uh, uh, politics, where it has uh, Florida neo-Nazis chant above freeway in sickening and frightening video. The sickening and frightening video is short, uh, but it does show people marching in good order. They're all wearing, I don't know why, red shirts and black pants. A lot of the shirts have the number 88 on the back. You know what the number 88 signifies because uh, the eighth letter of the alphabet, the English alphabet, is uh, H. And uh, so the idea of, of the number 88, it's the eighth letter, and the eighth letter is HH. It's Heil Hitler. That's the message there. The uh, sound of the uh, demonstrators over the weekend uh, of the neo-Nazis waving swastikas, giving fascist salutes, and chanting Sieg Heil and Heil Hitler, they were on a bridge in Orlando, Florida, uh, on Saturday. Uh, this is not exactly the magic kingdom uh, in Orlando, Florida. Here's what it sounded like. Okay, what exactly are they saying, Jeremy? Is it Zieg Heil everywhere? Uh, the, uh, they were led by a guy named Christopher Hammer Polehouse, uh, and he was leading the uh, rally, which was comprised of the Nazi group Blood Tribe and the Goyim Defense League, which has been extremely visible, particularly in uh, Florida, particularly in the Orlando area. And the photograph of Christopher Hammer Polehouse uh, is indicative of somebody who will never get a job because of the facial tattoos, uh, the Nazi facial tattoos. He's also wearing a swastika uh, sort of um, pendant, uh, like a necklace around his neck together with other necklaces and, of course, other theme tattoos along his neck. Uh, it says... Uh, in Newsweek, neo-Nazis have held a number of demonstrations in Florida this year with targets including a synagogue and Disney World. Uh, Florida has become a central focus of the so-called culture wars with the state's Ron DeSantis targeting what he terms woke indoctrination. I Really, it's, it seems to me a little bit unfair and ridiculous for... Newsweek to mention Ron DeSantis in in this context. He's been uh, very direct in his um, criticism of Nazis as jackasses. And uh, the idea that he has anything to do with it, given his very strong record of support for Israel and for other Jewish causes, not fair toward Governor DeSantis. Saturday's protesters included Christopher Polhouse, leader of the neo-Nazi group Black Tribe, and John Midadeo uh, II, founder of the anti-Semitic Goyim Defense League, otherwise known as the GDL. Some of the demonstrators had the number 88 on the back of their shirts, uh, a neo-Nazi code meaning Heil Hitler, 
and uh, there was a um, uh, somebody interviewed by Newsweek whose name is Leora Rez, who is the executive director of the nonprofit racism watchdog Stop Anti-Semitism. She branded the participants in the demonstrations as cowards. Couldn't you find a, a, a more negative <laughs> designation than that? Uh, then she did. She said members of the, the Goyam Defense League are dangerous criminals with records of assault, pedophilia, arson, and domestic abuse. Uh, uh, on Monday, an Orange County Sheriff's Office spokesman commented, we know these groups demonstrate in high-profile areas in order to agitate and incite people with anti-Semitic symbols and slurs. The Orange County Sheriff's Office deplores hate speech in any form, but people have the First Amendment right to demonstrate. And uh, again, uh, there's other talk about anti-Semitism involving social media and uh, the idea that Elon Musk is going to sue the Anti-Defamation League, which uh, purportedly fights racism, for destroying his advertising stream. Is that fair? Does that make sense? We will get to that and more coming up on the Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medvick Show. That's 1-800-955-1776. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, there is a uh, distracting war going on. No, I'm not talking about the war in uh, Ukraine, though there's a great deal of controversy concerning Elon Musk and that issue as well. This is a war between Elon Musk and his capacity as the uh, owner, proprietor, uh, main guiding force behind X, which used to be known as Twitter. And uh, one of the things that's very peculiar about Elon Musk is uh, what did he gain, really, by retitling the name of his platform as X, uh, as opposed to Twitter, which uh, had become a, a world-recognized brand? In any event, the uh, there was a piece I mentioned uh, yesterday in, in the Daily Beast, and uh, the headline is, Enough, Advertisers and Governments Must Dump Elon Musk. And uh, David Rothkopf, who wrote the piece, uh, writes that Twitter has suffered massive advertising losses because of Elon Musk's toxic cocktail of blending really dumb business decisions with other decisions meant to support your racist, anti-democratic, sometimes infantile political and personal agendas. Indeed, everything we need to know about your character was revealed over this past weekend when you sought to blame your losses on someone else and that you chose to do so in a way that played to the lowest impulses of an anti-Semitic mob. It was one of your ugliest displays, and that is saying something. It would be easy to get the world to divest from you. You are, after all, the world's richest man. You blame the Anti-Defamation League for anti-Semitism on Twitter because, wait for it, 
They complained about anti-Semitism on Twitter. Uh, your posts taking issue with their stance included amplifying views that called the ADL pro-Hitler. The ADL is the Anti-Defamation League. It was established in 1913 in response to the lynching of an innocent Jewish man in uh, Georgia, which has actually this has been the subject of a play on Broadway recently. It's a Leo Frank case. You then, says the piece uh, by Rothkopf of the Daily Beast, you then, Elon Musk, blamed the nearly two-thirds fall in Twitter ad revenues primarily on the ADL and threatened to sue them for defamation. You say you are not an anti-Semite, Elon, but we know better. Because one who amplifies anti-Semites promotes grotesque and unfounded anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and tropes and then actually seeks to blame the Jews for the attacks he leads against them is by any definition not just an anti-Semite but among the most dangerous forms of that repugnant breed. Now, on this issue, I got an angry email and I want to confront it very directly. It's a brief email that came in from Al in Breyer, Washington. And he says, Michael, I'm very disappointed in you. Elon M. is not blaming the Jews for his business losses. We all know he is Jewish himself. If ADL is slandering Mr. Musk with the intent to ruin his business and Mr. Musk can prove his case, that's a slander and a business tort. Uh, your comments on Thursday were not up to your standards. Well, okay, uh, Al, they were up to my standards, and you're simply wrong when you say we all know that he is Jewish himself. It is not true. Uh, I actually spent, uh, wasted, I'm afraid, a, a few moments uh, looking for evidence of uh, Elon Musk's Jewish background. There is none. He is not Jewish. He was uh, baptized in the Anglican Church when he was born. His uh, mother, who has the distinction, which I thought was interesting, his mother became the uh, oldest model to pose in a bathing suit for Sports Illustrated. Yeah, she did when she was 74. Congratulations. And by the way, an ADL did not start the fight with ex-Musk. Musk did. And the idea that he's going to sue the Anti-Defamation League for his loss of revenue, this came up on Morning Joe. And the uh, chief of ADL, Jonathan Greenblatt, uh, was pretty direct in his comments about Elon Musk and X. Uh, listen. About the real world impact of, of this, of having the richest man on the planet cheering along, ban the ADL. He was yeah. liking a lot of that stuff. He was yeah. responding to it, fanning the flames, blaming you guys for the failure of, of, the, of the company he bought. And so again, when you have Nazis chanting, ban the ADL, when you have swattings of synagogues, when you have bomb threats against Jewish institutions, and the Jewish holidays of Rosh Hashanah are just a few weeks away, that's why the community is on edge, and that's why ADL will not shrink. We will not hesitate. We will be ferocious in fighting hate. And the empty threats and frivolous lawsuits, they don't scare us. And you know, like you said, Elon Musk truly is the wealthiest man in the world. He's one of the most brilliant innovators of our time. He controls one of the most powerful media platforms on the planet. We're just a small nonprofit. So blaming the Jews, if you will, that's classic scapegoating. It's not what happened here, but we won't stop. 
you know, fighting all forms of hate because that's what we do. Okay, that is what they do. Uh, again, this from the Daily Beast. Uh, on September 1st, they say, a story appeared in the Washington Post with a self-explanatory headline, Musk's new Twitter policies helped spread Russian propaganda. It details how a study by the European Commission showed how, despite your pledges to the contrary, Elon, uh, Twitter policies played a major role in allowing Russian propaganda about Ukraine to reach more people than before the war began. We should not be surprised, of course. You have boasted about how close you are to Vladimir Putin. Isn't that charming? Who has used you like a puppet. And, of course, we know that even though the U.S. government subsidized your provision of Starlink, Starlink services to Ukraine, you then unilaterally decided to deny use of the service to Ukraine to support critical operations in defense of Russia's war of unprovoked aggression. Uh, look, this is is not a good thing, uh, and uh, the but uh, the the question that they ask uh, uh, Rothkopf in the Daily Beast, we have reached the point at which every politician in every democracy, beginning with the U.S., must be asked: Should the U.S. continue to subsidize the businesses of a man, including Tesla, of course? Uh, who is actively working for our enemies and against our interests. Should governments step in to require the kind of minimum basic standards on social media that have long been required on broadcast media? Should social media sites have more liability for the damage they do? At the same time, advertisers must recognize that the dollars they direct to your ex-Twitter site cannot be seen as anything other than support for hate, for anti-Semitism, for white supremacists, as the ADL rightly noted last year, for Nazis and those who directly attack the U.S. system of government. Uh, we will be right back with Jonathan Last with more on anti-Semitism in the news. Coming up on The Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, it's a pleasure to welcome back Jonathan V. Last, who is the editor of The Bulwark and a an extremely valuable commentator on all of the most recent developments in politics in particular. And Jonathan, I, I was... Uh, surprised to hear that President Trump is returning to uh, the uh, the rally uh, uh, circuit and is going to be speaking over the weekend in South Dakota where he is expected to receive the support of Governor Kristi Noem of South Dakota who is one of the very prominent names that is mentioned as a potential running mate for President Trump. Uh, do you think that uh, Christy Noem's endorsement of President Trump, if it comes through as it's supposed to, is going to have any impact on the race for the presidency or the race for the vice presidency? You know, I, I don't think it has much to do with the race for the presidency itself. Uh, Trump is such a dominant front runner that we actually don't have 
any good comparison points. Um, he is he is much closer to being like an incumbent president or an incumbent vice president. Like, uh, for instance, in 2000, is more. This is more like uh, Al Gore as vice president running against Bill Bradley than it is an open primary the way you had in 2000 with you know George W. Bush and John McCain, even though McC Bush was a, an overwhelming favorite. Uh, what I think could do something in the race for the vice presidency, though, is Nome. And what she could deliver for him is a huge crowd. This is, I mean, the way he thinks is through optics. Uh, it would not surprise me if he feels like he needs both a woman on the ticket to help him with female voters, but also somebody who is who is totally beholden to him and could not possibly stand up to him the way Mike Pence did. Uh, and, you know, Christy Nome is an attractive person. She has been unbelievably obsequious towards him, um, you know, since day one. But also, if she could deliver a huge turnout, like that's that's the stuff that's his bread and butter. You know, like he, that, that's how he'll judge people. And uh, I think that that is really the, the data point I'd be looking for. Look at the crowd size at, at his event. And if it's good and he feels like he can brag about it, then good on her. And if it's not, then, yeah, she probably has some problems. What about all those uh, rejected sweethearts then, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has said very publicly she wants to be Trump's running mate, uh, people like uh, Carrie Lake, uh, the defeated gubernatorial candidate from Arizona, uh, people like uh, Nikki Haley, or uh, do you believe Nikki Haley when she says she's not interested in uh, becoming vice president? I don't believe Nikki Haley when she says she's not interested, but I do believe that Trump would absolutely not pick her again because of the Mike Pence problem. Mm -hmm. I think he knows that he could not trust Nikki Haley as, as far as he could throw her. And so he's not going to do that again. Right. Is, I mean, he has learned his lesson in that way. As for Marjorie Taylor Greene, the truth is she's much more useful in the House than she would be with him. And Carrie Lake has loser stink on her. And the, I think he doesn't want to. What do you mean? She's the duly elected governor of Arizona. She I know. Says. I know. And truth is, she's still controlling the Arizona state troopers in the way that, uh, <laughs> that you know, Donald Trump is still controlling the military. If you listen to some of his fans. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that that's probably not where he goes. I think he'd be tempted by Tim Scott. Um, the idea of you know, he'll, he'll look at the numbers showing that. Republicans are making inroads with minority voters, and that will make Tim Scott attractive to him. Uh, Christy Nome will be attractive to him. And uh, I don't know. I wonder in a weird way if Vivek Ramaswamy could become attractive to him. We'll have to see how high in the polls Vivek gets. Uh, you know, like there's a there's a sweet spot and a sour spot for Vivek. If Vivek becomes so popular that he's a potential threat, then, you know, then Trump will have to turn on him. But if he's just running around like a mini me, then that could be that could be interesting to Trump. Uh, by the way, Vivek uh, yesterday, together with uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, was critical of the sentences that the Proud Boys have been receiving for January sixth. Uh, uh, do you think that's a good political move uh, to? Of course, Trump himself has said he's going to be reviewing all the sentences from people who are serving time for January 6th 
to uh, see who he should pardon and whose sentences should be commuted. Is this a winning issue for Republicans? Well, it's winning in the Republican primary. I don't think you're going to find very many Republican primary voters who, when they hear the law and order pitch, are going to say that they what they, they are also interested in having law and order applied to the Proud Boys and January 6th insurrectionists. I think they, they are not super interested in that. Uh, my, my bigger question is how this resonates with the Republicans have for now 30 years, and honestly going back to the late 1970s, had a huge electoral advantage on the the issue of just law and order, you know, in the same way they have a huge issue on a huge advantage in the economy. These are just structural things baked in. The public sees them as more trustworthy on law and order and sees them as more trustworthy on, on economics. I wonder if at some point that starts to change because they are so obviously <laughs> they have this selective blindness towards where they want law and order uh, applied, you know, and they are sort of pro-cop but anti-FBI. And it's I don't know. At some point, I wonder if the rest of America will catch on to that. But but who knows? Maybe, maybe these things survive uh, and, you know, cross political eras because they're just baked into part of our DNA. Uh, and in terms of uh, President Trump uh, having a secure hold on the nomination, which it looks more and more like he does, if you were advising any of his potential challengers, whether it's Nikki Haley or Tim Scott or the uh, flailing and foundering right now, Ron DeSantis. What can be done to make this a competitive race again and to uh, put away this um, uh, spreading sense of Trump inevitability? I, I honestly don't think anything can be done. I, mean, to, I, I don't like to brag about myself, Michael, but in October of 2020, so you know, five weeks before the, the 2020 election, I wrote that Donald Trump would be the Republican nominee in 2024, and it was it was just clear as day. He would say that he he actually won. The election was stolen from him, and that puts everybody in the Republican Party in an untenable position. They would have to testify that this was the truth. Uh, they would have to say Donald Trump was a great president. I support everything he did. Also, he really did win, and he got screwed out of that election. Uh, yes, he's running for president again, but you should vote for me. And that just doesn't make sense. And what we've seen is in the unwillingness of the rest of his uh, competitors, other than Mike Pence, uh, Asa Hutchinson, and Chris Christie, who deserve an enormous amount of credit. I don't mean to sort of wave them away. Uh, but what we've seen is that everybody else is really not trying to challenge him. They're, they're just trying to put themselves forward as his understudy. So that in case something catastrophic happens, in case there is a, a health event for him, or in case suddenly the Republicans do care about uh, his arrests and his trials and his indictments, then they are there to be tapped. They're next in line. But they're not actually looking to seriously challenge them, uh, challenge him. And to be honest, I think that's the correct calculation because I don't think he can be challenged. The, the truth of it is. The Republican Party has changed. The people, you know, the, the actual voter makeup, voter makeup of the Republican Party has changed, and they like what they've got. They want more Trump. More Trump. Uh, more Jonathan Last. Uh, you can read some of his latest columns. They're linked at michaelmedved.com. When we come back, uh, more anti-Semitic comments, but these made by a very respected world leader significant world leader. What he say? What does it mean? We'll get to it on the Medved Show.
1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. That's 1-800-955-1776. Michael Medved show. Uh, there's a uh, editorial which is sort of put at the bottom of the page, but it's an editorial from the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal, and it's not only extremely well written as you'd expect from the Wall Street Journal, but it's courageous and uh, admirable that they actually gave this some prominent coverage. Uh, what uh, they write is it's never a good sign when a dictator delivers a rambling historical lecture in the style of Fidel Castro or Vladimir Putin. And you remember his historical lecture about the history of Russia and the oppression of Russia and the victimization of Russia. And he went on for over an hour. Okay, what they're talking about here is not Vladimir Putin or Fidel Castro, who's dead, thank God, uh, but it's uh, Mahmoud Abbas, Abu Mazen the president of the Palestinian Authority proved the point when he spoke uh, before the Fatah Revolutionary Council. His subject for his historical lecture, the Jews. Most media, writes the Wall Street Journal, will ignore his comments which were translated by the Middle East Research Institute. Uh, they don't fit the liberal narrative that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is a clash of two nationalisms that can be resolved in a peace process if Israelis would just make more concessions. The comments also don't fit the narrative, gaining ground among Democrats, that the Israelis are extreme and the Palestinians progressive. And this is what uh, Mr. Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, who is in fact a dictator, he is now going into his 16th year of his four-year term. Uh, he suspended elections, no, no elections in the Palestinian Authority. In any event, he, um, he says at the beginning of his talk, the truth that we should clarify to the world is that European Jews are not Semites. They have nothing to do with Semitism. He then cited the Khazar hypothesis, which speculates that Ashkenazi Jews aren't descended from the Holy Land, hailing instead from the medieval Tatar kingdom. Uh, where Khazaria was, it was in the middle of the Caucasus. It was in what is Russia today. Uh, this has been discredited, writes the Wall Street Journal, by a century of scholarship. I mean, totally discredited, and by DNA, which can trace very directly the ancestry of most contemporary Jewish people, people identify as Jewish, to the ancient Middle East. In any event, he cited the Khazari hypothesis, which speculates that Ashkenazi Jews aren't descended from the Holy Land, hailing instead from the medieval Tatar kingdom. It's been discredited by a century of scholarship today. It's a theory one expects to find only in online fever swamps. But its usefulness in denying the Jewish connection to the land of Israel has made it a mainstream claim among Palestinians. Mr. Abbas kept going. They say that Hitler killed the Jews for being Jews. 
and that Europe hated the Jews because they were Jews. Not true, he averred. Europeans fought against these people because of their role in society, which had to do with usury, money, and so on. Even Hitler, he added, said he fought the Jews because they were dealing with usury and money. Yes, even for Hitler, quote, this was not about Semitism and anti-Semitism. Uh, uh, if you wonder why the Oslo peace process hit a dead end and stayed there, consider that Mr. Abbas and Fatah have been described for decades as moderates. And they are, they are, uh, I mean, we, we've heard all about the COVID deniers and deniers of this, deniers of that. The Palestinian Authority is officially temple deniers. They say that where the holy temples existed in Jerusalem, and there's no question that they existed. Obviously, if you believe anything about the New Testament, they existed. It's referenced several times, many times in the New Testament. But uh, the the idea that um, uh, the temple never existed, that it is a fraud, that Jewish people never had the ancient kingdom of David and Solomon, it never existed, that has been a stalwart element of Palestinian propaganda. At age 87, Mr. Abbas isn't likely to abandon his conviction that Jews are interlopers in every part of Israel. His predecessor, Yasser Arafat, once stunned President Clinton's negotiators by denying even that Jerusalem had been the site of a Jewish temple. Maybe it's time American liberals stop being surprised. And this uh, actually is now covered by the uh, New York Times, where they, uh, they write that video has emerged of Mahmoud Abbas the president of the Palestinian Authority, recently asserting that European Jews were persecuted by Hitler because of what he said were their predatory lending practices rather than their religion. In uh, a speech at the end of August, Mr. Abbas said, they say that Hitler killed the Jews, and we, what you've heard before, Mr. Abbas also repeated the widely discredited theory that European or Ashkenazi Jews have no connection to the ancient Middle East. Instead, Mr. Abbas claimed that European Jews were the descendants of a nomadic Turkic tribe that converted to Judaism during the medieval period and therefore were not victims of anti-Semitism. When we hear them talk about Semitism and anti-Semitism, the Ashkenazi Jews at least, are not Semites. Now, there's a statement that came out in response to this by the uh, Israel's ambassador to the United Nations. And uh, he, he said that uh, uh, Gilad Erdan is his name, and he said, this is the true face of Palestinian leadership. It is no wonder that mere hours ago a Palestinian teenage terrorist hacked innocent Israelis with a meat cleaver. He was referring to something that happened in the old city of Jerusalem that w wounded at least two. The European Union said in a statement, Mr. Abbas's historical distortions are inflammatory, deeply offensive, can only serve to exacerbate tensions in the region and serve no one's interests. The statement added, they play into the hands of those who do 
not want a two-state solution, which President Abbas has repeatedly advocated. And this is the difficulty. How can there be a two-state solution if you were saying that the entire religious and ethnic identity of the people who would be living next door to you, one hopes peacefully in any two-state solution, when you are saying that that whole identity is, is a fraud and has no meaning. Of course, uh, they have other uh, identities that are controversial. There was, as I mentioned earlier, a decision by the California State Assembly and this has nothing to do with Middle East peace or anti-Semitism. It has to do with just nuttiness. Uh, listen to what uh, is happening to the month of August next year, 2024. August will become in California Transgender History Month. Uh, this is a report from Fox, clip 15. California now the first state in the nation to officially recognize a Transgender History Month. Uh, today, lawmakers within the state assembly voted to approve a resolution declaring August a Transgender History Month in California. That resolution was authored by San Francisco Assemblymember Matt Haney. Leaders are hoping that that designation promotes education and awareness surrounding the contributions made by the transgender community. It's a big drama. Okay. Can somebody give me an example? Somebody wants to call and tell me what kind of material young people would be studying for an entire month to uh, talk about the contributions of transgendered people. I, I mean, honestly, if you think about this historically, uh, were there a lot of transgendered uh, signers of the Declaration of Independence? Uh, which of our presidents were transgender? That's right, as Jerry points out, at the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, they were wearing wigs. Does that show they were transgendered? Not exactly. Look, we did have a vice president of the United States, William Rufus Devane King, who was vice president with President uh, Pierce. and uh, But he never actually served as vice president. He liked to dress up in women's clothing. It's true, he did. Uh, but he died before he ever took office, and he died in Havana, which is something else again. Uh, there is so much more to be discussed and discovered in this greatest nation on God's green earth.